0: To the Verity Podcast for Friday, December 22nd, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace.
1: And I'm Melissa Topshire with today's headlines. She warns Biden that China plans to reunify Taiwan.
0: Anti war activist Dunsova challenges Russia's Putin for the presidency.
1: Ukraine seeks to conscript its overseas citizens.
0: Prague faces its worst mass shooting in the history of the Czech Republic.
1: A study warns AI image generators are being trained on explicit photos of children.
0: Meta is accused of censoring pro-Palestinian accounts.
1: A California ban on firearms is temporarily blocked.
0: The UN releases a scathing report on Australia's prison system.
1: Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount contemplate merging.
0: And Italy drafts a law to safeguard school nativity scenes.
1: A new report says she told Biden that China plans to reunify Taiwan. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Daily Caller, NBC, Business Insider, ABC News, The New York Post, and The Daily Wire. News reported on Wednesday that China's Xi Jinping allegedly warned President Joe Biden assertively that Beijing intends to take Taiwan, preferably in a peaceful manner, as they met last month during the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit or APEC, according to the two current and one former U.S. official briefed on the meeting who spoke to the outlet, the Chinese leader further told Biden that U.S. intelligence claims that he plans to reunify the island with mainland China in 2025 or 2027 are wrong, as no time frame has been set yet. This report indicates that long-standing tensions over the de facto autonomous island, which Beijing claims as its own territory, came up in the summit intended to thaw relations between China and the U.S., despite official readouts emphasizing their mutual understanding on issues such as climate change. Though refraining from getting into the specifics of the private conversation between the two leaders, U.S. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby on Wednesday downplayed the matter to reporters, stressing that Xi's reported remarks aren't something different or new. He added that the U.S. will continue to adhere to the one-China policy, not recognizing Taiwan as an independent country. Last year, Biden pledged to deploy troops to defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion. Xi argued at China's 2022 Communist Party Congress that the Taiwan issue must be resolved by the Chinese, ideally through peaceful reunification, but still reserving the option of taking all measures necessary.
0: On this show, we like to separate the spin from the facts. Melissa laid out the facts for us, and our first narrative is the Republican spin from PJ Media. It turns out that the alleged constructive and productive discussions between China's strongman and Joe Biden in San Francisco weren't as reasonable as the White House had sought to describe. Actually, Xi Jinping threatened to invade Taiwan to complete his goal to annex the island on American soil, and right in the face of the U.S. president. Biden's foreign policy weakness is on full display.
1: Here's the democratic narrative from responsible statecraft. Though China hawks have irresponsibly claimed that Xi's reported statement would amount to a declaration of war, the PRC leader has, in fact, lowered tensions as he asserted to Biden that Beijing has no plans to change the status quo of Taiwan anytime soon. China's willingness to reunify with Taiwan isn't something new at all. And this policy has underwritten decades of peace and regional stability.
0: And a statistics-based nerd narrative from the prediction community at Metaculus. They say there's a 47% chance that the People's Republic of China will annex at least half of Taiwan before 2050. A Russian anti-war candidate applies to run for president. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Associated Press, the Kiev Independent... ABC News, MSN, and The Independent Former TV journalist Ekaterina Dunsova formally applied on Wednesday to run in the Russian presidential elections in March to challenge incumbent President Vladimir Putin, who is standing for re-election. The regional lawmaker submitted the necessary documents to Russia's Central Election Commission to officially register for the 2024 presidential elections. If accepted as an independent candidate, she still faces the challenge of collecting 300,000 unique voter signatures from at least 40 Russian regions. Donstovod stressed her right to stand in elections under federal law dismissing concerns about the need for permission from the authorities. She calls for a peaceful resolution to the Ukraine War and aims to promote her vision of a more humane Russia, promoting peaceful geopolitical relationships. Hundreds of supporters gathered in Moscow for the official launch of her candidacy, announced by her campaign on Sunday despite fears of police interference. The 40-year-old is suspected of being backed by the Kremlin, allegations she denies, while her supporters are concerned about possible prosecution under Russia's strict laws enacted during the Ukraine conflict. If elected president, her first move would be to release Russia's political prisoners, she reportedly said, calling in particular for the release of activist Alexander Navalny. The nationalist Kremlin critic, whose whereabouts are currently unknown, is not permitted to run in elections and has been imprisoned since 2021. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin on Monday submitted documents to Russia's Central Election Commission to register for the March 17th presidential elections after supporters nominated him to run as an independent candidate. Putin is widely expected to win a fifth term in office.
1: Thank you, Scott, for those facts. Here's the narrative spin starting with a pro-establishment narrative from the Moscow Times that the former local lawmaker and mother of three dares to run as an independent candidate against Kremlin ruler Putin is a sign of hope for Russia. It is outrageous to call Donsova a Kremlin tool just because she's running as an independent candidate and is not part of the political establishment. with her call for peace in Ukraine and for a democratic and peaceful Russia. She represents the hopes of many Russians and the West. Even if her chances of winning are bleak, she at least reassures ordinary Russians that it is indeed possible and that they need not be afraid to stand up to the authoritarian Putin system.
0: RT brings us the establishment critical narrative. The Western press applauds Dunstova just as it celebrates every candidate, no matter how insignificant, who aims to remove Putin as president. Calling for peace in Ukraine and and criticizing the Kremlin reveals her naivete, for it wasn't Moscow that laid the groundwork for the conflict. There's still only one guarantor of a sovereign and prosperous Russia, and that is Vladimir Putin. The Russians are well aware of this, as evidenced by his high poll ratings. The fact that Dunstova intends to run is important for Russia's political culture, but only Putin can prevent the country from becoming a Western satellite in a U.S.-dominated hegemonic order.
1: Here's another nerd narrative from Metaculus. This one says there's a 21% chance that the next Russian leader disapprove of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine's defense minister seeks to conscript Ukrainians living abroad. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Ukranska Pravda, the Kiev Independent, the New York Times, and the new voice of Ukraine. Military aged Ukrainian men living abroad should return home and report to military enlistment centers or face potential repercussions, Ukrainian defense minister Rustem Umarov told German media on Thursday. The comments come after earlier in the week, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky described it as a sensitive issue, but said that Ukraine would need to mobilize an additional four hundred fifty to five hundred thousand people into the military next year. The Ukrainian leader has tasked Umarov and other military officials with formulating the plan for mobilizing such a high number of civilians. Zelensky also insisted that the plans included provisions for the rotation and demobilization of troops that had been fighting for almost two years. In the interview with Germany's Die Welt publication, Umarov said that Ukrainian men of fighting age abroad would be invited to return home and enlist. We are still discussing what will happen if they don't come voluntarily, Umarov said. According to a November report from BBC Ukraine, citing figures from Eurostat, there are roughly 650,000 Ukrainian men age 18 to 60 in Europe. Amid a Ukrainian ban on military-age men leaving the country, it was not clear how many of those were there with a valid exception, such as caring for a family member with disabilities. Reports earlier in the year revealed the existence of multiple draft evasion schemes. Those involved often use falsified medical certificates to leave Ukraine. In a new development, Ukraine's Bureau of Investigation said on Thursday that it had uncovered a further scheme to avoid conscription, this time in the Zaporizhia region. Officials said that the head of a recruitment center and three accomplices offered draftees an all-inclusive service package to secure an exemption, charging two to $3,000 per person. They added that 300 people successfully evaded conscription using this method. Meanwhile, amid shortages on the front lines and difficulties recruiting new men after nearly two years of war, a number of publications, including the New York Times, have recently highlighted the increasingly aggressive tactics used by Ukrainian recruitment officers to replenish their ranks including whisking men off the street using force. In some instances, men with disabilities and other exemptions were grabbed, triggering a number of legal cases.
0: Thanks, Melissa. The pro-establishment narrative from Ukranska Pravda. Most Ukrainians stayed to protect their homelands and voluntarily took up arms to fight the Russians. However, a minority of people illegally left the country and shirked their responsibility. Ukraine is now calling on them to do the honorable thing in return for the defense of their country against an existential threat. If they don't do so voluntarily, the state will have to enact certain measures.
1: Here's the establishment critical narrative from Euronews. It's easy to sound noble and heroic until one faces the harsh realities of war. Why should Ukrainian men sacrifice their lives and face a near-certain fate of death in fighting Russia? particularly when many are the sole breadwinners and providers for their families. It's vital to empathize with people who must make painful personal decisions about the perils of this conflict.
0: And Metaculous brings us another nerd narrative. There's a 30% chance that Ukraine will join the EU before 2030. Tragedy in Prague with 24 fatalities in the worst mass shooting in Czech Republic history. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by NPR Online News, The Telegraph, BBC News, and France 24. Fourteen people were killed and more than 25 were injured by a lone gunman at a university in Prague in the worst mass shooting in the history of the Czech Republic. The shooting took place at Charles University, where the suspect, identified by local media as David Kozak, was a student. Authorities say the gunman has been eliminated. Police have not released any information about the victims or the motive for the shooting. Czech Interior Minister Vit Rukuzin says that the suspect is not believed to have any links to any extremist ideologies or groups, and investigators do not believe the shooting was tied to international terrorism. Police believe that the gunman killed his father earlier in the day in his nearby hometown of Hootsound. Authorities also believe that the shooter was planning on killing himself. Although the suspect died of his injuries following the shooting, it is not yet confirmed if his wounds were self-inflicted or if he was killed in a shootout with police. Police have described the 24-year-old suspect as an excellent student with no criminal record. Police Chief Martin Vondrasek says that the suspect legally owned several firearms and called his crime well thought out and a horrible act. The Czech government plans to meet for an emergency session on the incident. University officials have said they would increase security around university buildings.
1: Thank you, Scott, for those tragic facts. We'll start these spins with a narrative A from the Telegraph. The Czech Republic has some of the most liberal gun laws in all of Europe, with nearly 3% of the country owning firearms. The suspect legally owned the weapons he used in this shooting. Clearly, laws must change to ensure a tragedy like this never happens again.
0: Narrative B comes from CNN. Gun crime is relatively rare in the Czech Republic. In order to obtain a gun permit, Czech citizens must pass a test, undergo a medical observation, and have no criminal record. Authorities were unaware that the shooter intended to harm others, and if they did, he would not have been able to obtain his firearms. This incident is a horrific tragedy within an overall well-regulated system.
1: A new study says that explicit photos of children are being used to train AI. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Stanford Digital Repository, Fast Company, PBS NewsHour, the Associated Press, and Euronews. A study from the Stanford Internet Observatory has found over 3,200 images of suspected child sexual abuse in the artificial intelligence database LION which is used to train the leading AI image generator, stable diffusion. The photos have reportedly been used to create realistic images of fake children and even transform pictures of fully clothed real teens into nude photos. The study's findings counter previous claims that AI software creates child sex abuse imagery only by merging adult pornography with photos of real children. According to the study's authors, Having possession of a Lion 5B dataset populated even in late 2023 implies the possession of thousands of illegal images. Stable Diffusion said it has a zero tolerance policy for illegal content and has taken down the Lion datasets to ensure they are safe before republishing them. While Lion said it temporarily removed its datasets and Stability AI, the maker of Stable Diffusion, Said it's enforcing stricter filters, the report claimed an older version of diffusion, called 1.5, is still the most popular model for generating explicit imagery. The report suggested 1.5 models should be deprecated and distribution ceased where feasible, if not safety checked. Meanwhile, OpenAI, which makes DALL-E and ChatGPT, says it doesn't use Lion and blocks requests for sexual content involving children. Google was using Lion to create an image generator before it discovered pornography, racist slurs, and harmful social stereotypes. This follows reports from Spain earlier this year that girls as young as 11 were having their real faces used to create deepfake nude images. This has brought up legal questions surrounding when and how to legally prohibit the use of faces, even if the nudity is generated by AI.
0: All right, here's our first narrative spin, Narrative A from Cointelegraph. While there is a long way to go, AI companies, including Stability AI, are working with governments and law enforcement across the world to rid the internet of harmful child abuse imagery. As AI grows in use and capability, the companies behind the technology have the tools and the ambition to keep their products safe while also offering their positive qualities for the public to use appropriately.
1: Here's Narrative B from Vice. While private tech giants like Meta, OpenAI, and Google claim they've steered clear of Stability AI and its child abuse-plagued datasets… The fact is that Lion is an open-source software that allowed the public to catch flaws in its system. If the amount of child abuse found in Lion disturbs you, just imagine what's behind the closed-door data sets of these private companies.
0: Narrative C comes from Bloomberg News. This is just one example of the danger posed by the current AI race. AI products like the Lion dataset are being rushed to market in an attempt to fend off the competition. And the result in this case is that an internet-wide scrape of images was open-sourced without due diligence. This is just the tip of the iceberg unless more is done to regulate AI and cool down the race.
1: And here's a nerd narrative from Metaculus saying there's a 50% chance that the creation of a humanoid robot that the general public judges as indistinguishable from humans will occur by September 2058. I just so baffled and horrified at why this is even happening let me i have a question
0: and this is maybe a too practical of a question for such a gross story if this ai is so good why does it need the real kids faces to
1: no idea
0: meta is accused of censoring pro-palestinian accounts here are the facts as agreed upon by Truth Out, Associated Press, Human Rights Watch, The Guardian, Euronews, and Al Jazeera. International NGO Human Rights Watch, or HRW, has claimed that the social media giant Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, has been systematically censoring pro-Palestinian accounts in the wake of Hamas's attack on Israel on October 7th and the ensuing conflict in Gaza. According to a report published on Wednesday, Meta has allegedly either taken down or suppressed over 1,000 posts from Palestinians and their supporters involving peaceful content in favor of Palestine on its main platforms between October and November. HRW also found that Meta censored dozens of posts documenting Palestinian suffering in Gaza based on its policies on violent and graphic content despite their newsworthiness. This allegedly contributed to the erasure of the pain of the Palestinian community, according to the report. Meta did acknowledge the erroneous removal of some content on its platforms, but rejected allegations that it has deliberately suppressed content with intent. The social media giant argued that the number of cited examples wasn't enough to support a pattern of systemic censorship. This comes just days after Meta's quasi-independent oversight board ruled that two posts informing the world about human suffering on both sides of the war in Gaza were wrongfully removed. Meta had reinstated the posts on its own and added warning messages due to the violent content. The company has long been accused of silencing people who expressed support for Palestine with a similar report from the HRW in 2021 prompting Meta to commission an independent review into content moderation regarding Palestinian rights.
1: Thanks for those facts, Scott. Here's the pro-establishment narrative from the media line. Horrific anti-Semitism on social media skyrocketed after Hamas's catastrophic attack on October 7, as anti-Israel and pro-Hamas accounts flooded platforms with propaganda and fake images. Social media platforms have a duty to prevent toxic hate speech and disinformation, especially during the fog of war in a volatile conflict. This war is difficult for everyone, but social media platforms cannot make the problem worse by spreading lies and dangerous content. A mindful approach to content moderation is required.
0: The establishment critical narrative comes from common dreams. In an ever-worsening humanitarian cataclysm in Gaza, Meta has been silencing the voices of people who wish to spread the truth about the conflict. These voices claim that Palestinian suffering was disproportionately represented in the media, and their social media posts are vital documentation for the historical record. Meta's deletion of these 1,000 posts is reckless, and it's causing pain and suffering for end-users.
1: Here's another nerd narrative from Metaculus saying there's a 2% chance that meta platforms will sell Instagram or WhatsApp before 2025. A California ban on firearms is temporarily blocked. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, USA Today, Fox News and CNN. U.S. District Judge Cormac Carney on Wednesday granted a preliminary injunction to block a California law that would ban carrying firearms in most public places. In his decision, Carney wrote the law is sweeping, repugnant to the Second Amendment, and openly defiant of the Supreme Court. The law, which Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom signed in September and was supposed to take effect January 1, 2024, prohibited firearms in 26 locations, including public parks, public demonstrations and gatherings, amusement parks, churches, and any other privately owned commercial establishment accessible to the public. Chuck Michel, president of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, which sued to block the law, called the law a creative ploy to get around Supreme Court precedent on Second Amendment cases. But the court saw through the state's gambit. California Attorney General Rob Bonta announced the state's plan to appeal, while Newsom used the judge's word repugnant to likewise describe the decision, and added California will keep fighting for stricter safety standards related to gun possession.
0: Thanks, Melissa. PJ Media brings us the right narrative spin. Democrats are constantly trying to find ways around laws they don't like, even if that means writing new unconstitutional laws. The Supreme Court, in its Bruin decision, set the standard gun laws have to meet to withstand a challenge. Yet California still came out with a law that has a ludicrous amount of places. Lawful citizens can't carry their guns. Democrats seem to get a kick out of stifling freedom.
1: Here's the Democratic narrative from MSNBC. By every measure, polling shows overwhelming bipartisan support among voters for limits on the types of guns that can be sold, who can possess a gun, and where and how one can purchase a gun. But because gun control doesn't influence who citizens vote for, Republicans ignore the desires of the electorate, continue to allow guns to proliferate, and make the country less safe.
0: And a nerd narrative from Metaculus: There's a 50% chance there will be at least 1.4 small firearms per capita in the U.S. by 2029. The U.N. urges Australia to reduce prisoners on remand. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Human Rights Law Center, the UN Center for Human Rights, and the Canberra Times. Following a terminated visit to Australia in October 2022, the UN's Subcommittee on Prevention and Torture, or UNSPT, has released a report claiming that the nation's prisons failed to adhere to the Optional Protocol to the Convention Against Torture, or OPCAT, a treaty Canberra ratified in 2017. An inspection of Australian prisons last year was suspended after U.N. officials were reportedly denied complete access to imprisonment and detention facilities in the states of New South Wales and Queensland. The UN SPT claimed that the visit's suspension and ultimate termination in February 2023 derived from a lack of cooperation from state actors, while acknowledging that fruitful collaboration with regular contact with authorities occurred in the visit's preparation. UNSPT has also accused Australia's state authorities of a fundamental lack of understanding concerning the subcommittee's mandate and powers. The subcommittee continued by noting the extraordinary number of persons deprived of their liberty on remand, sitting at 70% in some locations. UNSPT also expressed concern about detained migrants, claiming that many were subject to visa cancellations despite having come to Australia as children and having lawfully resided there for decades. In addition to recommending a review of Australia's Migration Act 1958, UNSPT suggested increasing the country's age of criminal responsibility to at least 14, using handcuffs, belt tethers and shackles on children only when absolutely necessary, rather than as a matter of routine, and banning spit hoods and spit guards. In a document also relieved on Wednesday, Australia commented that the subcommittee's report had been distributed to the relevant authorities while reaffirming that the country takes its international rights obligations seriously and has an enduring commitment to preventing torture and other curial, inhuman, or degrading treatment.
1: Thank you, Scott, for those facts. We'll start the spin with Narrative A from Australian Greens. Finally released after much anticipation, the UN's report is a scathing one for Australia's penal system. The federal government continues to deny responsibility for the continuation of torture and malpractice within several Australian states. The country must once again become compliant with its international obligations and end systemic mistreatment within its prisons.
0: Narrative B comes from ABC of Australia. For Australia to see long-term success, the country's immigration problem must be fixed as it places undue stress on Australia's already overwhelmed correctional system. While Canberra should undoubtedly strive to meet the committee's recommendations, it must be careful not to overcorrect its failures by becoming too lax and unmethodically releasing dangerous criminals, as it has done since last month's ruling on indefinite detention.
1: Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount Contemplate Merging Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Verge, The Wall Street Journal, and The New York Times. Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount are reportedly in talks over a potential merger. According to Axios, CEOs David Zaslav of Warner and Bob Backish of Paramount discussed merging the combined $38 billion market value of their companies during lunch in New York this week. Zaslav reportedly also spoke with Sherry Redstone, the head of Paramount's parent company, National Amusements, but it's unknown whether Warner would buy either if a merger took place. The two CEOs are believed to have discussed how they could work together to compete with the industrial giants like Netflix and Disney. Alongside its self-named studio, Warner Bros. also owns the cable networks CNN, TNT, and HBO, as well as its streaming service, Max, which contains much of the aforementioned content. Paramount also owns cable channels such as MTV, Nickelodeon, and Comedy Central, as well as the CBS Broadcast Network and its own Paramount Plus streaming platform. While Warner is bogged down by over $40 billion, a successful merger could help the combined companies when negotiating with cable distributors like Comcast and Charter. It could also help cut costs with respect to marketing the company's movies and shows. As Netflix has cracked down on shared accounts, the streaming giant has boosted its total global subscribers to 247.2 million, compared to Paramount Plus's 63.4 million and Discovery's 95 million as of November. Discovery merged with AT&T's Warner Media last year to become Warner Bros. Discovery. This also comes as the Biden administration has intensified its scrutiny of mergers and acquisitions. Combining two of the largest movie studios and streaming platforms will likely be on the radar of government antitrust watchdogs.
0: The Hollywood Reporter brings us Narrative A. The entertainment industry is unashamedly pursuing merger after merger, even despite the recent Hollywood writer's strike and the Biden administration's legal battles. As the government fails to block both horizontal and vertical mergers, the industry has become more emboldened to narrow the TV and movie playing field. After the strike, everyone predicted such moves would occur. Warner Brothers and Paramount are proving that true.
1: And here's Narrative B from the New York Times. From a consumer and antitrust standpoint, this merger may actually be a good thing. While the government will certainly be watching these talks play out, it's important to note that Netflix and Disney Plus are both much bigger than Paramount Plus and Max. If they were to merge, there would be a more suitable competitor thrown into the mix. The combined debt of Warner Brothers and Paramount would also be an issue but more subscriptions from their respective sports streaming assets could also bring in more cash.
0: Netflix got me a couple weeks ago I had to I was sharing a Netflix password with someone else and I had to sign up for my own. I know oh, other people the same way.
1: Finally had to bite the bullet huh.
0: Yep, yep. Someone gave me a a $25 Netflix gift card like 10 years ago for a gift. And I've never had to use it, but I've been saving it this whole time. For the day, so so it's been in. uh, We call it our family wallet.
1: That's your uh, that's your like uh, emergency savings account.
0: Yeah, right. right. Which unfortunately, our emergency savings account is a twenty five dollars Netflix card. So, (laughs) so
1: (laughs) well, it came in handy for that emergency.
0: Our final story, Italy's ruling party proposes a bill to protect school nativity scenes. Here are the facts as agreed upon by civillic.info, BBC News, The Guardian, Your Active, and The Telegraph. Italy's ruling Brothers of Italy, or FDL party, introduced a bill to the Senate on Wednesday that would safeguard Christian traditions, such as displays of nativity scenes and Christmas plays at schools. The legislation would prevent schools from banning the nativity scene depicting the birth of Jesus Christ and impose disciplinary sanctions on school officials who seek to eliminate Christian celebrations of Christmas or Easter. Lavinia Manuni, a senator from the FDL, sponsored the bill and argued that Christianity and Christian celebrations are a core part of the Italian identity. The bill would impose fines on principals who choose to remove nativity scenes, which drew criticism from teachers, unions, and opposition parties. As Italy's population continues to become more diverse, growing cultural issues have fractured the country as Maloney and the FDL have argued for more restrictive immigration and adherence to Italian traditions.
1: Thank you, Scott. Here's a right narrative from La Massa. Maloney and the FDL understand that the Italian people are linked by a shared faith and origin that must be maintained as some leftists attempt to remove Christianity from society. The Italian government has a duty to stick up for Italian culture and interests. And Christmas and Easter are Christian celebrations. They must be respected as such.
0: And the left narrative from the messenger. While religion should undoubtedly be respected, it shouldn't be imposed on students. And that's exactly what this bill, which ignores the fact that Italy is officially a secular country, would do. If this wasn't enough, Maloney tries to prop up Christianity while turning her back on migrants seeking a better life. Italy's right wing seemingly only cares about dividing and playing politics.
1: I saw a funny uh, bumper sticker the other day at a stoplight. So it was right mm. behind the person and it said, are you following Jesus this closely?
0: Mm. Mm. I laughed.
1: <laughs> I thought that was pretty good.
0: That's a pretty good one. Yeah, that, yeah, that's good. If you're going to, you know, reduce your car's value by putting a sticker on it, at least it should be funny. And that, one, that one's pretty good.
1: it's pretty good. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Verity Podcast for Friday, December 22nd, 2023.
0: Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on
1: and the key narratives where the articles differ. To find out more about Verity, visit our website, verity.news. You can also download our app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Verity.